Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJS Bay's new podcast program, School Law Today, a program designed to give the people who practice school law uh, to our education, to our school board members, school administrators, and others interested in how schools are governed. Uh, our first program, I think it's a uh, very uh, apropos topic, and we'll be talking about uh, the Code of Ethics and advisory opinions, which we'll explain later on. Uh, with me uh, from the law firm of Skorinci in Hollenbeck and Geppert, is John Geppert. Welcome, John. Oh, thank you. Uh, I appreciate you having me here, Ray. That's very nice of oh, you to okay. have me here. How long have you been, uh, uh, before we get into it, how long have you been uh, in school law? Uh, about 25 years. I've been representing boards of education as general counsel in all areas of education. It's been a 25-year period or so. Okay, great. Um before we get into it, you know, we call this the, the advisory opinions that the school board members and others should be aware of. We're really, it's probably a little bit more than five because in a lot of these areas, there, one advisory opinion doesn't cover everything. Uh, but let's talk about a uh, what's in a, uh, actually what's the school ethics commission uh, as briefly as we sure. can do it. Absolutely. Well, there is a school ethics commission, as I explained to board members and administrators. It's very important to know about that, particularly for uh, new board members. Um, It's part of the Department of Education, and it's been authorized by statute and regulation to consider complaints of violations of the School Ethics Act and the board members' code of ethics. Uh, It also provides advisory opinions, which can be very useful for school officials if they have a potential problem and would like to get some advice on how to handle it. Okay, and uh, the advisory opinions that people get, I I guess we should uh, clarify, are usually particular just for that individual's case. Is that correct? Yeah, I I was going to say under the code, uh, Title 6A colon 28 hyphen 5.1 lays out all the steps, and only a, a school official can actually ask for one. And if they ask about another school official, they have to give proof of service that they had advised them of the question. It's a confidential process, and they state what the problem is, and they ask for an opinion. Now, the commission doesn't have to give. uh, uh, They can decline to accept the advisory opinion. They don't have to consider it. But if they do, um, they'll go through it, and if six members agree to it, then uh, it can be made public. But it, they do it without the name of the individual and without the name of the school district. And that and eventually ends up that, on their website. And the reason they make some of them public is they think it can help guide other board members uh, Absolutely. or school administrators. Yeah, it's very important because, uh, especially with new board members, they need guidance. And for board attorneys and administrators and board members, it's helpful that this is a guide, that sort of a safe harbor, that if you have a situation like that and follow it in accordance with an advisory opinion, then you're on strong ground. Okay, so um, 
let me just before we get into the first one, which will be on volunteering. Uh, if anyone wants to participate, they can log into our uh, chat room. They have to log in with the Blog Talk Radio. Uh, it's there's no charge to this. You just scroll down for the free uh, registration, uh, or you can call one. Uh, 347-989-8904 and just press the number one and that will let Mike who is screening our calls know that you have a question <coughs> excuse me for John John uh, let's go some the issues we'll cover is volunteering negotiations superintendent evaluations uh, the interview process uh, and for the involvement of former staff members now volunteering most people would it's almost a uh, counterintuitive that volunteering could be a problem. Uh, but uh, there have been some rulings on this, so could you go over why if someone becomes a board member, volunteering could be become an issue? Absolutely. Um, it is very important because, as you say, it, I think it comes as a surprise to some of the board members when they look at this topic. With the volunteers, there were some early decisions from the Ethics Commission, uh, notably a1015 and A32-14, where it said that a board member could not participate as a volunteer. And the problems there in the first one is that um, the board member was the sole volunteer leader of the organization. So therefore, they were directing students, they were involved with directing uh, school officials, and getting involved more in the administration area, which is not appropriate. And in the second one, they had a situation where a board member's spouse was a teacher and was a director of the play. And in that situation, it was actually the school employee, the spouse, who was directing the board member on what to do. So those were problems. And that brings us to the recent decision in A17-15, where the commission clarified um, and set forth a standard saying that it was not a violation for a board member to participate as a volunteer where they were to construct sets in a school play or they were to move equipment for a marching band. Uh, they went out of their way in the commission to explain that it, volunteering is important and that they don't want to preclude, in general, board members from doing it. So it said that in, if you're in this situation where you're not directing um, school officials, and if school officials are not directing you in your performance, then you're permitted to continue. So they did draw some lines there, but it has given a little more leeway to a board member to volunteer and participate in the kind of things that a parent wants to do, help the marching band, help the school mm -hmm. play, do things of that sort. But if someone's in that situation, they can always ask their board attorney for some guidance. Yeah, and I think a lot of the people who become board members probably were already doing this volunteer work. Uh, we're already involved, and so it probably comes as a little bit of a surprise that now that they're the volunteer, I guess, as a board member, that they kind of may have to watch that role a little bit. Absolutely. You have to be careful. You can't just go in and do anything that you want. Sometimes people do have strong personalities and uh, they're involved in many community activities and they're used to sort of running the show. So this is one area where you have to pull back a little bit. And if you're going to be a board member, you need to also uh, watch what you're doing as a volunteer and make sure that you don't take too uh, advanced of a role and get involved in administering the district. All right, we're going to switch gears a little bit, uh, or a lot of bit, and go into the area of negotiations. Um, 
And as we okay. move forward, and in, in, in probably in uh, this topic, and also in uh, personnel with the superintendent evaluations and all that, I guess what we're going to talk about is rel- definition of relative and where the board member can be an employer is in the field of education, uh, their type of employment. So in negotiations, say I'm a, I'm a new board member, but I'm in the field of education, uh, what concerns should I have? Okay, certainly. Well, with negotiations, it's a pretty broad topic, and it's received quite a bit of attention in the past. Um, The first advisory opinion that I'd throw out there is A16-15, and that was a fairly recent decision, which came down saying that a board member with a relative, and I stress the term relative, in the same statewide association doesn't violate the provision of being involved in negotiations per se, unless uh, that relative has a position as an officer in another association or on the negotiations team on the other association or in a leadership position there. So this is an important distinction because um, over the years with the commission, there were several decisions and negotiations and things moved around a little bit. But I think uh, a couple things that a board member takes away from this is if they have an immediate family member or a relative who works in the same district that the board member is a board member, then that is a violation. That's a problem. You cannot be involved in negotiations. If, however, you have a relative, and that's a broader definition, who's a member of the same statewide association, they can participate provided they're not too involved at too big a level. And this is probably a good time to point out, too, that that definition of relative was expanded greatly in the uh, New Jersey Code with the fiscal accountability regulations. Uh, In there, the relative went to include not only the spouse and a partner and uh, parents, children, siblings, aunts, uncles, but it went further and further if people looked at the definition in the code in that section dealing with stepchild, stepsisters, half-brothers, daughter-in-laws. It's pretty broad, so you need to turn to your board attorney and talk to them if you have a concern in that area. So uh, along those lines, a couple standards. One, if you have an immediate family member or relative in the district, you have a problem. If you have an immediate family member, which is a, a spouse or a dependent child, uh, you have a, in the same statewide association, you have a problem as well. However, if you have a relative, one of these broader categories along those lines, who works in uh, the same statewide association, then this new opinion, A1615, gives you latitude that you can participate as long as there's not a leadership or very active role by that relative in their association. So I hope that's helpful. That broad definition of relative, and we could do a whole program just on the definition of relative. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I just wanted to point that out. uh, And also, uh, for those people who become board members or new board members, uh, I, I know for myself, I don't know, what all my relatives even do for a living or where they work, uh, 
as a board member, you might be want to become a little bit more aware of that. But so clarification, if you have one of those broader definitions relative, it's okay if they work outside the district. It's your issue will become a little bit more uh, a little bit more of an issue when they are working in your district, even if it's a pretty distant relative. Absolutely, you have you have a problem if they work within the same district because then they can be covered by the agreement that you're actually involved in making decisions on. So, so there is there are a few moving parts to that area, but that's where the the lines are drawn. And I'd also point out that the New Jersey Administrative Code has a section on the nepotism as well, six a colon twenty three a hyphen six point two, which lays out. Uh, what you can and can't do, which is in agreement based with the uh, School Ethics Commission's advisory opinions there. Okay, and, and just a, a clarification involvement in negotiations. If you if you have to recuse yourself from the negotiations, that's pretty much from start to finish now. That means yes. you're not part of setting the parameters. Do, you used to be able to vote in the final contract. Uh, but how, how is it now if you're recusing yourself? Yes, um, once it reaches the final uh, me memorandum of agreement, when that's been approved in the salary guides, then on the actual final vote, you are permitted to vote. So that uh, is at the very end of the line. But the entire process up to there is a prohibition that you shouldn't be involved in setting the parameters. You should not be at closed session meetings where it's discussed. You can't be on the negotiating team, and you can't have any involvement uh, right up until the very end. And as I say, that's, that's set up in the code. I might want to point out just in that code provision there that they do uh, point out the technical resource exception, that an administrator can serve as a technical resource to the team to provide technical information where they're the only one in the district who can provide that information. So there are situations uh, I guess we where you... Should, we, we should clarify also that this, uh, the, the code of ethics that we're talking about and these advisory opinions hold not just for school board members, but for the, the school administrators as well, the, the business administrator and the superintendent. Uh, Absolutely. And, and, okay, uh, for those people who the are phrase, not in education. Yeah, the phrase school official... Um, does incorporate not only the board members but administrators, which would include the superintendents and the school business administrators. All right. Uh, so we, we kind of clarified negotiations. Uh, if there, and I guess we should also say that uh, what about there's a couple of bargaining unions. Uh, say there's a we have what they call the AFT uh, teachers union and the NJEA. Uh, does it matter? If the board members in one or the other, in terms of their or their relative, in terms of these rulings, no, there have been uh, some opinions that came down indicating that it isn't just one particular association; that it uh, it could be another association that also creates a problem. And I'd also point out too, uh, the commission had that recent opinion, A forty hyphen fifteen where they said administrators are covered the same way as board members are under that A1615 decision that I started out with. Okay. Uh, and one other thing, let's get into the relatives. Uh, if, uh, in the terms of uh, your relationship with the superintendent, which is one of the biggest responsibilities of a school board member, is either hiring, it's both hiring and evaluating the superintendent. Uh, how do the 
this definition of relative fit into that and your participation as a board member in, in that area? Yeah, well, it's a problem with the whole area of superintendent evaluations and hirings. Uh, A5-15 is the recent advisory opinion that I point to, uh, where it talks about a board member with a spouse or a brother in the district, uh, that there are prohibitions there, and the board member may have no involvement in the very beginning process, the search for setting up the parameters of looking for a superintendent, they can't be involved in the hiring of the superintendent, and they can't be involved in post-hiring activities, such as evaluations, contracts, things of that sort. And uh, this has been true even where a spouse uh, is a lunch aide. Uh, A8-15 is another fairly recent decision that, or opinion that came out that said that that lunch aide uh, spouse creates a problem for the board member, that they'd have to recuse themselves on the superintendent's evaluation and contract. They'd also have to recuse themselves with the principal who supervises and any other administrator who's involved in the chain of supervision there too. So that can be a real problem um, where you have someone, uh, a family member who is uh, working in the district itself. And once again, I'd point you to your board attorney and do you want to stay very clear of creating any problems? Uh, this might be a point, too, to raise the idea, which I mentioned to board members, that anyone can file a complaint against you with the School Ethics Commission. Mm -hmm. So as you get out in the public world and are involved in public matters, sometimes boards are split on different issues in that. So it's something that a board member and an administrator needs to keep in the back of their mind that any person can file a school ethics complaint and I've certainly been involved in trying to help defend uh, members who have uh, matters brought against them. And even when they're in the right and everything they did was right, it's still uh, a long process and a lot of aggravation uh, to defend that just to prove that you're right in the long run. So that's why people may want to be very careful in these particular areas. And it always helps to, to ask about it and to get the board attorney's uh, involvement and guidance with it. I think that provides some measure of relief for you. Yes. Uh, two things on, on this topic is I just want to, because uh, in some of our more rural districts, or actually in a lot mm -hmm. of districts, uh, the spouse may want to just be close to their kids, uh, be involved in the school. Uh, there might be a substitute teacher or, as you said, a lunch aide or some other thing. So it doesn't really matter the level of that employment, whether it's a, it could be a principal, a teacher, they're all uh, or a lunch aide. They're all kind of on the same level in terms of this conflict, this perceived conflict uh, with the school yeah, ethics. That's, yeah, that's correct. That uh, if you're in any of those categories, there you'd want to stay away from it. The prohibited acts under the School Ethics Act in 18A12-24 lay out a number of different situations. And they talk about if you have any kind of interest or financial involvement or personal involvement, uh, that this is a problem. So you don't want to go there uh, when you have a family member who works within the district. Uh, before I move on to the next topic, uh, in a, lot, a lot of people are involved in education or employed in the field of education, uh, or their spouse or some relative is involved in the uh, field of education, and a lot of times people are voted in because people think 
educators should be on the school board because they have a, a better, famili- more familiarity with the issues. With a lot of these conflicts in this broad definition of relative, you could have a board where, say, uh, if it's a seven-member board, maybe five members have a relative in education or who are teachers, administrators, or, or, or some of them might be themselves. What's the board to do then if uh, they don't have enough board members to participate, say, they don't have a quorum to participate in a, a negotiations? Yeah, at that point, then, if they have a majority of the board members who are in a conflict position and that prevents the board from operating, then they have to invoke um, the doctrine of necessity, which uh, the School Ethics Commission has laid out on their webpage, uh, a process for doing that where the board would have to pass a resolution uh, where they lay out the facts that create the problems and the conflicts and they adopt this doctrine and necessity at a public meeting, then they have to post that for 30 days before they take action. So that would be the appropriate way uh, to handle that kind of situation. The commission has foreseen that, that that could occur uh, because so many board members and families are involved in education. And that's the appropriate way to handle it. And certainly your board attorney could help you in doing that. All right. Uh, We've talked a lot about relatives working in the field of education, both in and outside the district. Uh, I oftentimes see uh, someone retires as an educator uh, Mm -hmm. and they like to run for the school board. They want to stay active. They're retired, but they still want to be active in education. Are there conflicts with that? We'll start if uh, I was the principal of my district school and I lived in the district and I retire, are there any things that the board should be aware of with the former staff member? Um, Absolutely. Uh, As with the other areas, this can be problematic too. And there are some lines drawn on this dealing with former staff members or association members who become board members. And uh, I point to the recent decision there, A26-15. And these are available on the Uh, School Ethics Commission's website if people want to read them. In that situation, you had a former president of the local association who had been an employee in the district. And in that situation, they became a board member. The commission came down and said that that individual may not be involved, that it would be a violation of the School Ethics Act for them to be involved in anything involving the association including negotiations, during their first term as a board member. So they felt that the public, there'd be an appearance that they were still too interested in uh, the local association's activities, and it'd be inappropriate for them to be involved. The opinion did say, however, that that board member may participate in the second term of Hmm. their time on the board, because with the passage of time, Uh, the commission reasoned that they would be uh, assuming and becoming more aware of a board member's responsibility and that the public would have less of a concern as time went on. So under that opinion, it did say that the board member may participate in their second term. However, even in that situation, they have to be careful to make sure there are no personal issues that may arise affecting them such as if they're retired and there are benefits issues that are being negotiated that may somehow impact on their retirement and their benefits, then uh, they'd have to recuse themselves. 
Um, I'd also point out there's another opinion, too, talking about the passage of time, 824-16, where a uh, board member who had been involved as an employee and an association member in a neighboring district uh, retired back in 2001 and then ran for the board, uh, and here it is about 15 years later, the commission said that that passage of time also took away any kind of problem as long as they didn't vote on any personal matter for themselves that might benefit them. So certainly the passage of time makes a difference uh, for these former staff members and association members who come on the board. I think the clear bright line there is uh, certainly during the first term as a board member, you should not be involved in any way having to do with the association matters. Uh, and what about involvement with the say personnel, the evaluation of superintendent or hiring they, are they okay with that? Well, once again, uh, this sort of leads us into the topic of interviews, that uh, there's some opinions that came down on that, and I point to A31-15. The commission's been pretty, very clear in saying they do not advocate for interviews by board members below the level of superintendent. So uh, they put out in A31-15 that if a board does form a personnel committee, there are restrictions on this, and there should be no more than one or two board members who participate in that, that they may not conduct the interviews, but they can provide their thoughts and some observations on it. And it was very clear in indicating that certainly with the code of ethics, it's the superintendent and the administration that comes forward with the recommendations then it's the board member's role to vote, yes or no, on those recommendations. So they wanted to be clear about, we don't want you involved in the interviewing uh, at these other levels, so below the level of superintendent. And the same thing, there's a companion uh, opinion, A15-10, indicating that board members should not be involved in exit interviews either, that those are... Uh, something that the board members should not be involved in, that they're overstepping their bounds. The code of ethics is pretty clear in laying out that you're supposed to be involved in planning and policy and uh, budgets, and you're there to make sure that the districts run properly, but you're not there to administer the district. So that's the underlying legal rationale for those kind of opinions. Uh, what about, uh, you said any position below a superintendent um because basically the superintendent's the only person who reports directly uh to the uh the school board. Uh what about the business administrator, the employment of the business administrator? How how would that work in terms of the interview process? Cuz sometimes the the business administrator does have a day-to-day -day dealing with the, the the board more than any, any other administrator outside of the superintendent. So you're saying the school business yeah. administrator's involvement? Yeah. Well, no, they no. Certainly. Can they can they participate in that interview or would it, because I know sometimes superintendents will just say, "Here's my final candidate," just as a meet and greet, not really an interview process. So would that uh, the absence, uh, the exclusion from an interview include uh, the interview for a, a business administrator, a new business administrator? Yeah, with the board members, they have to be careful because under that opinion, it says anything under the level of superintendent. So if a new uh, candidate for school business administrators coming in, they shouldn't be involved in the actual interview. 
I, I do think that there's some leeway there that if the superintendent has uh, made a selection and is about to recommend to the board that they could meet uh, in a meet and greet just to get to know the person before they make their final vote. But once again, it's the superintendent's call and the board member then either accepts it or rejects it. Uh, just on personnel interviews, a lot of boards have personnel committees, and th they may not interview, but they do do a lot of other work. They may look at the the requirements for the position and act on recommendations from the administration uh, in other areas in terms of personnel not participating in interviews. Would they still be able to hold those, uh, have that, that type of role as a personnel committee? Yeah, personnel committee uh, has a important role because board members need to be knowledgeable about the personnel needs of the district, uh, the philosophy of the administration, and the board can provide their input, the board members, on uh, what types of needs need to be addressed, the individuals and qualifications they're looking for. Uh, so those opinions do provide for them to be involved in a personnel committee but they have to be very, very careful not to do the actual interviews. Uh, they can provide input to the administrators and that, but they're sort of the, the board of last resort there, that the recommendation is going to come from the superintendent to the board, and they need to be in a position to evaluate and accept or reject the personnel recommendation. Okay, we're coming to the end of the program. Just one final piece of advice briefly. Uh, you said it before, but I guess – these, these advisory opinions, we could get new ones that could give us a new direction uh, in, in any of the areas we talked about. So it's probably advisable for a board at least once a year uh, to discuss some of these with their uh, board attorney. Absolutely. There is the requirement that they go over the code of ethics for the board members once a year and sign a form. I do that with my boards each year, and it's very important that boards do that that they need to be aware of that, particularly these new members who come in from private industry. The world of education is very different, very regulated, and this is an opportunity for them to learn what types of restrictions are there. Some of the ethics commission opinions talk about you have to be careful even when you go to the supermarket. You have confidentiality <laughs> provisions and other things. So um, my hat goes off to board members. I mean, they don't get paid. They have to take training, and they deal with the public. So it's a hard job. So congratulations to all you for helping the students by doing that job. All right, John, I'd like to thank you to bring us to the end. Uh, there's, it's a b big topic, and we try to get it through in 30 minutes. So thank you, uh, and I look forward to working with you down the road. The same here. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Ray. Okay, John. Bye now. And bye to all our listeners, day. and I hope you enjoyed this. Yes, and thank you for having me again. Good week, a okay. nice weekend to everyone.